Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 Memphis. I'm Emily Trenum, your host. And today um, I've got two guests, Reginald Milton, who is executive director of South Memphis Alliance and a member of Shelby County Commission, and then Andy Kitzinger, who's the principal of Development Studio. And today we're going to be talking about a proposed tax increment financing district for South Memphis. So we're going to get in the weeds, but we're going to try to talk about everything and explain everything. So welcome, guys. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Emily. So, Andy, I, I was Andy, you're you're the, you know, kind of the subject matter expert here. And I was going to ask you to, to define tax increment financing. But now I think, why don't you explain as uh, as simply as possible what a TIF district is, you know, we have a number of them here in Memphis, one in Binghamton, one in Uptown, maybe we'll talk about those later, but what is a TIF district? Well, great. Uh, Really a TIF district is tax increment financing. It's an acronym that's uh, represents a a community improvement tool that's used to um, redevelop underserved and underinvested neighborhoods. And uh, so that uh, tool is is applied uh, across districts, uh, and it could be applied for individual pro- individual projects. But uh, uh, in this case, uh, we're we're applying it to a, a, an entire district neighborhoods. So it's a tool to re- to help revitalize a neighborhood in this context, correct? Yes. And where does the where again sort of simply where does the money come from? So this is uh, money that is newly generated, and it's it's based on uh, attracting additional investment, new additional investment to the the neighborhoods. Um, so it it is uh, tax dollars that are newly created as a result of the redevelopment strategy. Okay. And so in other words, if you revitalize the project, property values go up, there's some additional taxes, and those can support the project. Am I getting that right? Yes, and they're simply redirected and invested into the neighborhood. Okay, so Reginald, you've been working in South Memphis um, with other... Forever, forever on, you know, you, you had a community development organization and you've worked, you know, with your, with your team and also with partners for many years to revitalize South Memphis. And you've been, you know, with a lot of other people been helping lead this effort. And so um, how did, what, what happened to, for this concept to come up from the community that we need to create this district for South Memphis? Okay, Emily. As you know, again, uh, over the many years that we've known each other, 
uh, I have always been a community organizer. And um, when I started my nonprofit in South Memphis, South Memphis Alliance, 20 years ago, um, the organization over the years, we got to know other nonprofits in that area who also are working to make the community better. About five years ago, I came to realize something that we were all doing, we had matured. You know, it's one, when you first start off, you're kind of just trying to figure out how to just keep the lights on. But many of the nonprofits have reached a point where they were really starting to do development. They were expanding and the reality, we weren't talking to each other. It wasn't out of any hostility or anything else. It's just everyone was in their own echo chamber and everyone was just focused on their own issues. Well, realistically, if if we ever really want to make something happen or get better, um, we have to work together. So um, I started talking with these other uh, CDCs, community development corporations, and asking them if they would consider us maybe kind of creating a body where we could all sit around and discuss broader issues that affect all our lives. Um, They were very receptive. It was immediate. Uh, and many good organizations got on board right away. And I want to go ahead and name some of them real quick. Uh, you had the Memphis Music Magnet by uh, run by Venetia Kimbrough. You, had, you have Youth Bill by Jeffrey Higgs. You have Black Arts Alliance run by Laurenette Williams, Knowledge Quest, uh, Marlon Foster, Score, Rebecca Hutchinson, Lemoyne on College, the college itself, uh, Pastor Chris Davis, and, of course, SMA. Um, myself. And we just started working to get on a common concept of how we could look to better the community as a whole. So so that's where it started. Mm -hmm. Let's work together and get on the same page. And in that process, the idea of putting forward this strategy um, was identified. Is that right? Yeah. At at about uh, two years we started, the, the Alliance was really working well together. We were doing many projects. We put up every year a 33-foot Christmas tree. Um, we, we held events in the area. So uh, the TIP was a natural process for us. And uh, over the last three years, we've been moving in that direction to develop one for the uh, uh, Soulsville, greater South Memphis area. Well, and one thing we could note here is that um, TIF is a very common tool in cities around the country to to um, fund neighborhood revitalization. And for many years here, it was under. This is my opinion. Was underutilized. We had um, one TIF district, one large neighborhood, one in the uptown area, which. And that money was used to fund all kinds of improvements and housing assistance. And um, so, but aside from a couple of smaller things, that was really it for a long time. Um, And then there's a lot of things, the leadership changed. And I think the, the community development arena got, you know, more sophisticated. And I'm, so I'm delighted to see, because Reginald, I mean, you could talk up to up to this more than me, but you know resources are so scarce, especially to do physical physical improvements, redevelopments, and um, we just need more sources of funding. Absolutely. In fact, um, uh, for us, we mostly depended on pilots. You know, um, but like Nashville, Nashville really utilized tips a great deal more, and it benefited from it. So 
Uh, we're late to the game, but um, we'll catch up fast. Well, and a pilot, just, just to um, explain, is a little bit different because that's really um, that's really a, a different kind of reduction. It's a really a reduction in property taxes for a period of time. I'm simplifying greatly. Um, and um, as opposed, to the, the, one of the beauties of the TIF to me also and this really, um, you know, Andy, you and I worked on a project in Binghamton together. Was it really, you know, it's self-funding for the neighborhood. It's not going to the city or the federal government and saying, give us money. Although for sure it can, that can, you know, be layered on for even more, but it's really the neighborhood's improvements funding the neighborhood. And so it's, us. it's, it's, um, there's just something very great about that to me. It's empowering. And um, I always like to joke and, uh, you know, poor Andy, he has to hear my joke every time I say this. I know I've said it so many times, but really, I always ask people, what does TIF stand for? You know, most of us know, and they'll say, you know, tax increments. No, no. TIF stands for the Indigenous First. It's a community effort, and it helps to build the community. And that's really what's at the heart of what the TIF is all about. I love that. So, Andy, is anything that Reginald and I said about TIFFs or pilots, for that matter, wrong? <laughs> you can feel they're free to jump in and and correct. No, uh, that was perfect. Uh, pilots uh, is ac- actually an acronym as well, and most a lot of people know about pilots or hear about them. Uh, pi- pilots are uh, a payment in lieu of taxes, so it, it basically um, freezes taxes at the pre-development level. And uh, so uh, that that is one tool. Uh, you know, the the tax increment financing is more of uh, uh, you know a self help uh, tool, redevelopment tool for neighborhoods. So they're generating uh, tax revenue, and and the tax revenue is redirected. You know, a portion of it's redirected to help them and serve the needs of the neighborhood. Well, and I don't want to get too, you know, too deep into the uh, into the weeds, but I mean, in the TIF district, I mean, that doesn't preclude pilots being used on on some projects in the TIF district um, at some point, right? Yeah, in, in several TIF districts, there there are pilots. Uh, you know, there's pilots uh, pilot areas that are eligible um, in in targeted areas throughout the, the city. So. Yes, they're they're um, so in some places they're they're uh, both used as as tools. So, Andy, um, what are the boundaries of this district that you're proposing? And then, I guess both of you, starting with you, Andy, what are some of the important anchors in that area? I know we've mentioned Lemoyne and College, but other things that might be in that area. So, start starting with you, Andy, about the boundaries. Well, uh, that's the great thing about this process, uh, that the boundaries are being created by uh, the residents and stakeholders in, in the district. So uh, it's still evolving as we receive input. Uh, so we have some uh, early preliminary post, proposed boundaries that is basically um, defines South Memphis as south of MLK, Dr. MLK uh, Street. And then down to South Parkway on, on the south. So that's roughly the, the area that we're talking about for the TIFF district. And, um, you know, we're, we're gathering input and, and 
adjusting and tweaking the boundaries based on uh, stakeholder uh, participation and, and input. But uh, the area is really uh, made up of, of uh, five uh, distinct areas. Um, it includes the south in south main area of, of south downtown. It also includes uh, South City and uh, the Peabody Vance neighborhood. Uh, it includes French Fort and down to the MLK Park area. It, it also includes uh, this South Third Gaston Park area, uh, as well as we mentioned previously, Soulsville and South Bellevue. So those those are the, the main areas within uh, the Fifth District. Okay. And then besides the college, what are some, what are some important anchors or institutions in that community? I mean, it's probably a lot of them, but I'm just thinking sort of in terms of locating for people that um, might not be as familiar with the area. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Crump Boulevard is, is uh, a key main street of the district. Uh, so it, it runs uh, east, west, but uh, south of Crump, you know, there's, um, the, the French Fort neighborhood, which a lot of people are familiar with, with the Marine Hospital. And, and uh, but as, as you um, go further south, of course, there's Stacks and uh, the, the Stacks Academy and Museum, but as well, as well Royal Studios, uh, staying on that music theme, uh, music heritage, you know, uh, uh, so uh, the Memphis Slim House and uh, others that that really are are key anchors that, that represent the, the music heritage of, of the district. And in one of those communities, um, uh, Emily, are community organizations, neighborhood groups that have existed for decades, who have uh, been really committed to that area. Yeah, I was um, one of the reasons I wanted to do this interview is because. You know, in December, you had kind of a town hall that um, did, you know, of course, a virtual town hall, which is what we're doing now, and which I participated in. And I was just totally overwhelmed with the, not the number of people, but the number of kinds of stakeholders. I mean, there were neighbor associations, there were pastors, there was the business community. and it was, I mean, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that it was one of the most impressive collections of, you know, voices, neighborhood voices that I've experienced. I, I agree 100 uh, percent. It was extremely diverse. And exactly that's why when people ask, well, why have you now, why have it taken so long to, uh, to uh, apply for this TIF? It takes years if you're doing a community-based TIF because... We can't move forward unless we have the community say so. So it's I, we don't just draw an arbitrary line in the community and say, well, that's who we represent. We literally have to go into those neighborhoods, talk with the residents, talk to the pastors, talk to community organizations, and get their buy-in. And that takes time also in building up trust. So, uh, But uh, over the years, we have put together, and I say this with all due humility, one doggone good uh, team. I would agree with that. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM, and I'm talking to Reginald Milton and Andy Kissinger, and we're talking about a proposed um, tax increment financing 
uh, district for South Memphis. So, Andy, I, I meant to ask you this at the beginning, and and I guess um, a kind of a two part question. You know, I know a little bit about TIFs, and I one thing I know is that um, TIFs can only be used for certain kinds of investments. Are going to be prioritizing um, in terms of how potential TIF dollars could be used. Yeah, the um, the, the allocation of TIF funds uh, uh, can only be used uh, in its most simplest term for uh, public infrastructure, which is to the benefit of the community. And the definition of that public infrastructure is broader than just streets and sidewalks and utilities. You know, it, it also uh, includes blight remediation and affordable housing and even some uh, some business incentive tools for uh, local business owners. Okay. And and Reginald, what are you hearing from, and I mean, you've been having these conversations for 20 years, so it's not not just now, but from your conversations as part of this process, I'm sure you've had some visioning. Um, what are people, what do you think people, you know, need for that TIF dollars could be used for? You know, Emily, um, the truth is that many of these residents, they're learning about, you know, the TIF, um, how it works. But truthfully, what the residents mostly want is a voice. They want to be heard. They, um, they like anyone else, you want to see development. You want to see more people moving back into the community. You want to see more amenities. That's understandable. Better, better roads, better parks. But the truth is, for a community like this, for an urban community, just being heard and having a say, which in many, uh, maybe more upscale communities, uh, uh, more affluent, they would not expect that to be important. But in ours, it is critical. And um, this organizing effort that we're doing, bringing these groups together, and not just saying you ha- we'll put you on an advisory. You literally, they literally have the ability to put their foot on the brake and stop things. This is empowerment. Well, that's what was going to be my question: is how are? I mean, I know you're that um, you're still putting the proposal together, but how do you envision residents um, being involved in the decision making or leading the decision making? You know, we um, have been asking a lot of questions, um, uh, but building on all of the previous plans that have have been done, you know, we, we planning in this area has really goes back several decades. Uh, you know, the SOMI RAP plan in 2005 and many plans uh, that have been done. Uh, we, we don't want to ask the same questions that residents have been asked over and over after they've seen and experienced planning efforts and not seen results. We want to leverage all of that input that, that has occurred in the past. Uh, but the questions that that we're hearing uh, and asking uh, really is what are, what are the priorities for TIF expenditures uh, in in your opinion? And so the the residents the the redevelopment strategy for the TIF is is really to establish those priorities that are, are resident led uh, priorities, and the residents will will help define you know what what the expenditures will be spent on. Well, that's how it should be. I, I agree. I mean, I agree. There's, there's 
residents have in, in every neighborhood have been asked the same questions over and over. And a lot of times that doesn't lead to anything but, um, but a plan. Although in the case of Somi Rep, which is the South Memphis revitalization plan, I think, you know, quite a few of those priorities have been implemented. That's a, that's a, I think a testament to, you know, to leadership and the ability to get some political support behind it. So I think that's a great model, but I agree. I mean, um, we probably know what some of the priorities are, but it's exciting that residents will have an opportunity to actually be the deciders. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's the, what's the process? I mean, Andy, I guess starting with you, what's the process generally of establishing a TIF district? Um, And then where are you now and what's the sort of timeline but tell us about the what what the, the the whole process from idea to adoption yeah it's uh, as uh, commissioner milton indicated earlier it's it's quite a long process if you do it right and uh, our our schedule is began in the in the fall is when when we were brought in to to support the effort um but uh, basically, uh, over a year uh, process, uh, we've broken it down into multiple phases. And um, so the, the, the bulk of the, the writing of the plan really happens uh, in, in the early phase. And then the adoption process is, is quite extensive. Uh, so in writing the plan and, and, and finding, uh, determining community needs and priorities, that that's an early phase, and then we'll define what those opportunities are uh, for, you know, expending TIF dollars, and then we'll develop that application. So that that process takes about six months, and then the adoption process is is uh, at least seven months in itself. Uh, you know, first it's got to go to the uh, community redevelopment agency, the CRA, and um, get approved and and then it goes to the uh, county commission and the city council uh, for three readings each. So uh, that that adoption process has plenty of opportunities for public hearings and uh, scrutiny uh, by residents and citizens and and elected officials. So you're in in the part of the process now that's establishing community needs, is that right? Yes, and uh, we're projected to uh, in- complete the adoption process uh, before 2021 com- is ends, uh, so end of the year. The whole, the end of the year for the whole thing to go through the process. Yes, through through the writing and adoption process. So we're, we're projected to complete the redevelopment plan and the application this summer and uh, uh, go through the adoption process this fall. Well, and I sort of remember this, but I should remember this, I guess, but does there have to be like a demonstration of, does there have to be a documentation of what conditions are like now and then a documentation that the, the neighborhood, these areas are in fact blighted to to be eligible for this kind of, um, of structure? Yeah, the um, for the community redevelopment agency requirements for, for a TIF application, uh, there, there are two criteria primarily that there's uh, a, a widespread existence of blight 
throughout the, the district. And then there's also needs to be a, a lack of affordable housing. And uh, so South Memphis uh, has met both of that, those criteria and uh, uh, will we'll be uh, prioritizing those uh, issues in, in the redevelopment strategy. So Reginald, kind of on the you know, political side, you know, at one time, there wasn't a lot of support among elected officials in general for this kind of strategy. And I think because of, you know, essentially, um, there's, you know, tax dollars, even though they're new tax dollars, tax dollars um, that are generated will be, you know, taken from the coffers. Sometimes there's a carve out for education. I don't remember. But anyway, and dedicated to a particular neighborhood. But it seems like the in the case of Binghampton and maybe even some others that there's more of an appetite for TIFs generally. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Well, we've been meeting with some elected officials and um, the response has been very positive. Um, there is an understanding that uh, the community has to be engaged as well. And this, this literally this empowerment uh, brings them to the table and um, overall it makes it stronger. If everyone's uh, part of the team, it just makes the whole process easier. So um, I think uh, for the most part, uh, speaking even from the county commission side, I can tell you quite clearly, um, they want to see this happen. They want to see community development occur. Yeah, I, I would say so. So, Andy, do you, are you anticipating, I mean, it's always bumps in the road. Uh, are you anticipating, you know, fairly smooth sailing um, through that process, even though it's time consuming? I know you can't, you don't have a crystal ball. Redevelopment, uh, targeted redevelopment strategies uh, can occur everywhere uh, within the municipality that we need to uh, prioritize and where those uh, redevelopment strategies are, are, are targeted. And South Memphis is one of those areas that uh, is a priority for the community and, and really should, should receive this the targeted reinvestment. So Reginald, are you hearing from, um, I mean, I know there's the, the, the organizations you mentioned, um, you know, Knowledge Quest or Lemoyne and College CDC are um, probably have you know projects they'd like to undertake. But do you anticipate um, greater interest from the private sector once this is set up to try to get more private sector investment as well as the the nonprofit sector? Oh, absolutely, and and, and part of my humor with uh, Andy is the fact that I, I I'm Pollyanna. I'm very optimistic all the time about these things. Um, um, I, I see that when you're on the right trajectory, when you're doing these things and you really take your time to do it right, um, a lot of the problems that people normally have, they just they just go away. It's just because you're you're doing it the right way. And we're glad to have Andy and his team on because it was probably one of the best decisions we made. They have really made this process so easy. Um, when I and I know Andy's always worried, always concerned, but. Um, the truth is, is that I don't think we would be where we are if it wasn't for his good, his good uh, uh, efforts in this process. And we truly thank him. The fact is, Emily, is that what makes this so good is that one of the biggest challenges for developers who want to come into specifically an urban community is that they don't want to start investing millions of dollars 
Then all of a sudden hear a bunch of community residents with pitchforks and torches screaming, we don't want you here. But the reality, these are not nefarious people. They, they're just not in the community organizing business. So they may talk with a couple of uh, people, think they've met with the right people, and then find out they haven't. What we're offering is a plug yep. uh, where you can just plug into the community and then instantly be able to have that connection and the buy-in. Um, and what makes this so good, wonderful is that this board is mostly made up of CDCs, Community Development Corporations, and we're really a conduit. We're partially development and we're also partially community organizing. So we offer that from both ends. So the community gets to understand what's happening because we can translate that in the way they want to hear. And forgive me, I'm getting over my allergies. It's this time of year. Uh, and the business community can be confident that they've done their due diligence. So it works perfectly. That's why this model, SNDD, is such an effective tool that we think it's going to be it's going to be uh, duplicated by other areas throughout the, the county. So SNDD is the Soulsville Neighborhoods Development District, and that's the, the, the nonprofit entity that is spearheading this, correct? Right. Soulsville, USA Neighborhoods Development District. Yes. Well, well, and I will, um, you know, for people that listen to this on a podcast, you know, there's show notes and I'll post the link to that in the show notes if people want to get additional information. But Reginald, you're right. I mean, to me, if, you've, if, if um, you know, the plan will lay out, you know, here's the investments that the, com- that the community needs and wants, and it'll probably be a pretty big list. And so developers can plug in. And then, you know, the Memphis 3.0 comprehensive plan, which has, you know, the the anchors identified, that's an additional way for, you know, private sector developers to say, okay, we want to do this, here's where it makes sense, and there'll be, you know, incentives available for me or community support. I agree with you. It's, it's um, for developers that really want to um, you know, do well by doing good. A TIF is a great, a great tool. A, a TIF plan is a great way to, um, a great tool to have at their disposal. Yeah, and, and really um, establishing a criteria for what the community wants helps developers. Uh, it, it really answers a lot of questions that developers have. It, and if their project, proposed projects meet the criteria of the community, uh, then, then that's a, a project that's that's worth incentivizing. You know? Well, and once the it's adopted, if developers go to, uh, you know, the community redevelopment agency board to get funds, I mean, that's question number one. How does your how does this project align with the the community adopted TIF plan? And if it doesn't. Hopefully you're shown the door, right? <laughs> and this effort is really working to uh, take that another step and and to implement community benefit agreement requirements. Uh, so when an application is advanced, then how does it benefit the community? And, and so that uh, process is is thoughtful and, and uh, upfront of a community benefit agreement between an investment and, and the neighborhoods. You know, that sounds like a subject, another great subject for a future Memphis metropolis, <laughs> community benefits agreements. Um, 
something else that needs to be defined at a later date, but I'm in favor of that. Well, this has been great. I'm so excited about this project that's finally happening. And so um, thanks. I've been talking to Annie Kitzinger, who's principal of Development Studio, and Reginald Milton from South Memphis Alliance and the Shelby County Commission. We've been talking about a proposed tax increment financing district for South Memphis. So thank you both so much for coming on to Memphis Metropolis. Our pleasure. Thank you, Emily. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis, everybody. You're listening to 91.7 WYXR FM, based out of Crosstown. And I'm here with Charlie Santo, who's the director of the City and Regional Planning Department at University of Memphis. Charlie is one of our regular commentators. So welcome back, Charlie. Thanks, Emily. Good to be here, as always. So, Charlie, you're here for part two of our discussion on tax increment financing. (laughs) So I know the audience is just on the edge of their seat (laughs) waiting to see what I love making fun of myself and my wonky. What are going to say about this one, right? <laughs> exactly. So, Charlie, the first half of the show, um, we had Reginald Milton, who's uh, a Shelby County Commissioner and the Executive Director of South Memphis Alliance, on along with Andy Kitzinger, who's a local planning consultant, and they're working with a large coalition on establishing a tax increment financing district for South Memphis. So, and we talked a little bit about what tax recommend fi- financing, otherwise known as TIF is. Um, but so what, what, what were your thoughts about that? Um, any reflections on that discussion? Yeah, it kind of raised some curiosity for me. I mean, I, I, it was really interesting to hear them, especially Reginald, talk about the, you know, the years of coalition building behind this. And so it's great to hear that sort of community empowerment piece to it. I'm a little bit curious about the details of the TIF itself. And it sounds like this proposed TIF in South Memphis is similar to the TIF that was approved for Binghamton, which I know that you're familiar with. And I, th- I think that the kind of TIFs that we're talking about here in those two cases are a little bit different than what we sort of talk about in cla- in the classroom when we just sort of do the textbook, this is what a TIF district is. Right. So, you know, maybe I can, maybe I'll walk through what that typical approach in a bigger city, like where you see it more commonly in Chicago, I can walk through what that looks like. And then maybe you can tell me how these approaches are different from that. Sure. That sounds good. All right. So in, in most of the common TIF district examples, and maybe this has changed over time, but typically it's the, the, the TIF plan injects injects an increase in property value by front-loading some kind of development or improvement that's paid for with bonds. Uh, and then they they pay for that improvement with that increase in tax revenue. So, you know, maybe it's a big downtown mega redevelopment plan where they're going to build a new baseball stadium and, and, and entertainment district. Um, so the city doesn't have $500 million in their checking account 
they raise that money by selling bonds. So people buy these bonds, individual pieces of paper, and they buy them $50 worth or $1,000 worth until there's $500 million sold. Uh, and of course, the city pays those investors back over time, 30 years or whatever. That's the debt service. That's the that's what the increase in tax revenue repays. Um, so in that case, it's you're drawing a boundary around a geography, uh, and within that boundary, there's an existing property tax base. You know, say it's there's a million dollars in taxable property to start with, and you go in and you make these improvements. You build a new stadium. And you expect that the total value of property inside the area is going to increase now because it's, you know, there's more activity there. There's more activity at restaurants and commercial properties and they can charge higher rates. So the property values increase. So maybe expect the total value of the property inside that boundary to increase from a million to a million and a half dollars. That new half million dollars is the increment. So the property tax revenue associated with the base, the first million dollars still goes to the city's main budget, the general fund, but the property tax revenue associated with that, the increment, that new half million dollars, stays within the geographic boundary and in, in the typical case goes to repay those bonds. But in this case, it doesn't seem like there's a bonded development project up front. Is that? That's correct. There's, you know, we've got several um, TIF districts here in Memphis and a couple of them are in more you know, affluent areas, like there was, there's one in East Memphis that was a little controversial, which we can talk about a little later if we have time. And there's one um, for the Highland Row project. And I do think there was bonds associated with that before the ones we think of that are sort of the neighborhood TIFs. Um, those Memphis does not, Memphis or Shelby County do not issue bonds on the front ends. I think I don't know what the philosophy is. I'm guessing, and I've been told that it's just, you know, we're conservative um, and not want to take on additional debt and more of a pay-as-you-go approach. And so the, I mean, there's some downsides to that because there's not this um, you know, influx of money on the front end. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the, the increase takes a while. Um, you know, the, uh, the neighborhoods have been kind of different, like uptown, the boundaries for the uptown TIF, which was, I think in maybe in two, was it 1990 or 2000? I don't even remember. That's, that's quite a, a long time ago. And I think it was two, maybe 2000. Oh, yeah. um, and the, but that boundary encompassed um, Harbor Town and yeah. part of, I think I saw Olive Mud Island, which was undeveloped at the, a lot of it was undeveloped. The initial Harbor Town was in place, but a lot of the other development hadn't take place. So uh, there was a lot of development planned that happened. And so, of course, you know, the property taxes on vacant land, and then you put you put a $300,000 house on that, that's a pretty good increment. Yeah, and you're kind of guaranteeing the increment there. You're guaranteeing the increment. And so the Uptown TIF um, generated a lot of revenues, which did go into the sort of traditional things we think of for, for TIF investments, you know, streetscape improvements, paving, sidewalks, decorative light fixtures, you know, acquiring and preparing land. 
And so even though bonds were issued, a lot of that, there was a money pretty early on in the process to take, to pay for some of that things before the development in Uptown happened. But in Binghamton, there isn't, um, there isn't that kind of development happening, proposed development happening. And so Binghamton is hoping to benefit from, you know, rising property values in that area, um, which they are, and it's going to be more organic growth. And the expectation was never that that's going to, you know, generate a lot of money, but the hope is it will generate enough to be able to do, you know, home repairs, some affordable housing. It's just a more modest, it's going to be a more modest program overall. And I think- I think that's right. These are more more modest, less risky. These neighborhood tiffs are more modest, less risky than the the typical. You know what you read about um, when there's a lot of criticism about about a tiff project. And I didn't ask Andy and Reginald about this, but the boundaries as they have drawn them are that's a pretty good. Um, that's bigger than Binghamton, significantly bigger in terms mm-hmm. of the number of parcels, and. And it includes some of that South Main area. Mm-hmm. Um, so where there's still development opportunities. So it could be, um, and I haven't looked at the financial projections, but that could be that would generate more income than Binghampton by virtue of the fact that it's a larger area and there's probably more room for larger scale projects. Um, but I do think it's, there's there. I don't think there's going to be bonds issued. I think it's going to be the same benefiting from organic growth and that just, but but the problem with that is it doesn't generate the kind of money necessarily you need to do transformative projects. Right. It's yeah. There's a lot of patience involved, um, but it does give residents the opportunity to set their priorities, and then it's almost like a participatory budgeting process where the residents are, you know, saying here are the things that we prioritize as investments in the future, and when we have revenue that's generated by our as Reginald said, the indigenous first, uh, that it goes towards these things. It's, it's, I think it's important to, I mean, TIF is so complicated and there are so many different ways to do it. There's, there's, there's the pay as you go, like these are, there's bonded TIFs, there's site-specific TIFs as opposed to districts. So it's important to sort of lay out some of these differences. Uh, we can't paint all of these TIFs with, with a broad brush. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, if you had any thoughts about, is that, um, you know, for a long time, you know, people felt like TIFs were just really underutilized here. There was um, there was the the TIF for Uptown, which was very successful. But I remember when the the TIF for Highland Row was, which is more of a project specific. I remember when that was proposed, had to go to city council and county commission, and it was very contentious. Um, getting that across the finish line. And of course, that's a relatively small project. And, but now the, um, you know, both, you know, in terms of the administrative part of the government and the elected part of the government, there just seems to be a lot more palatable. And not only are there a lot of new tip districts being proposed, the Memphis and Shelby County Community Redevelopment Agency that, you know, facilitates these actually offers a train offers a training called, you know, do a tip district in your neighborhood. That's obviously not what it's called exactly, but it's that they obviously had so many inquiries 
that they have prepared some community education. So I feel like, you know, the floodgates have opened and that probably has some, um, that could potentially have some downsides as well. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I think about. And, you know, we're, we're new at this in Memphis. We don't have a, you know, Chicago has got 143 TIF districts. That's, we're a long way from that. But I think there are some long-term sort of warnings or, or things to to think about uh, when you're dealing with TIF districts um, and be, and the possibility of becoming overly reliant on them. So, you know, if you think about how cities function financially, there's a, there's a budget, it's like a household budget, right? So you've got expenses and you've got incomes and the income for a city is, is complicated, but the most important source generally is the local property tax. And that comes from residences and businesses and you paying taxes on your house and, you know, owners of the office building paying taxes on their office building. And that pays, that revenue from taxes pays for the expenses, schools, maintaining our roads, amenities like parks. And obviously, I mean, it's, it's, it's controversial. It makes sense that it's controversial once you, when you start to mess around with that income source. Because uh, when you mess around with that main income source, you put the city's checkbook at risk. Uh, and there's there's different ways that we do that with incentives. There's pilots, there's TIFs, there's other things. Um, and those are, you know, they have different ways of tinkering with that revenue source. The pilot, I think, is the, is the less benevolent tool. Um, you know, in the case of the pilot, the payment in lieu of taxes is the developer saying, you know, I want to build this warehouse, but that's going to require me to make improvements on the property and, and that'll cost me tax money. And, you know, can I just not, can I just not pay the taxes because you guys need the jobs? Uh, the, the tip is not the same. People are still paying that property tax. It's just not all going into the same pot anymore. You're drawing those boundaries. And as things improve in that area, the increased revenue from that improvement stays in that area. So it's not going into the general checking account anymore. That goes into the special fund, and and so then one one of the general criticisms of a, of a TIF is that a TIF will often capture revenues that would have been generated through normal appreciation of property values. Right? If you're putting a TIF district in a place where values were going to appreciate anyway and go into the general coffers, now you're diverting that from the general coffers into this narrower geography, um, and so that's kind of an overcapture of, of revenues that is make, taking money away from the city. Uh, citywide. And when you start carving up, carving off property tax that would go to schools to benefit the population citywide, then it gets a little sketchy. Well, though, with the point you made a second ago, I understand that about, you know, property taxes that were going to go up anyway, but let's just talk about Binghampton for a second. Like Binghampton, you know, property taxes are rising and, there are people that are being displaced um, and there's more people that are threatened with displacement as property taxes go up. So what's wrong with capturing some of those increases for a period of time to help preserve the neighborhood and preserve, um, you know, the ability of people that live there now to stay there? Yeah. And, you know, there's there's noble goals behind these these two particular tips, Binghamton and, and South Memphis. Uh, you're trying to use this as a tool to eliminate blight or to spur improvements in areas that have seen less than others. 
Uh, we know that there is some unevenness, which means that we're trying to remedy inequality, uh, and that's important. Uh, you know, this unevenness between rich areas and poor areas in, in a city is bad. Uh, and in this case, the TIF is, is being considered as a way to address that, which is nice because normally when we talk about incentives, really the taxes, in a lot of cases, they're just obviously inequitable with the benefits flowing to, to a small few. And in this case, we're, we're not talking about a tax break for new apartment buildings near downtown or a shiny building like Crosstown Concourse, right? We're talking about trying to spur some activity in areas that have been underserved and disinvested. And really that have been paying for sprawl uh, in the city growing too big to deliver its services efficiently, kind of essentially subsidizing their own decline. Um, so this is this is a way to, to try to capture that. Um, but when you, when you, th you think about, you know, you're, you're kind of talking about, well, property values are going up and areas maybe are starting to gentrify. And I think that's probably true. And you see that in Binghamton. And so that's why they're doing things like the, the TIF district and the community land trust to preserve housing affordability. Um, but, you know, my, my hesitance about TIF it kind of, I had, was having a conversation with Steve Lockwood uh, back when he was still director of Fraser CDC. Um, and you've had Steve on the show. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, he was seeing housing prices increase in Fraser uh, and, you know, wondering what the causes of that, what are the long term implications of it? Is, a sig is it a signal of gentrification? Is it outside investors? Um, and when you talk, when you think about gentrification, typically you're seeing, increasing population in the city leading to those increasing property values. But we're not really seeing increasing population in the city of Memphis, um, not like a place like Nashville is. So when you see one part of the city growing, typically it means that another part of the city is losing, right? Um, so the question then becomes, if one part of the city, say Midtown, is seeing growth in, in population and in property value, how do we spread the benefit of that growth to other areas of the city, right? Is there a way to do that? Or do we tell them all, every neighborhood with this potential gentrification, set up your own TIF to protect yourself? Um, so, and I, and I wonder if having multiple new TIF districts prevents that ability from the benefits of increasing property values in Midtown to going towards other neighborhoods in the city. And so I'm, you know, I'm right. I'm having this conversation via email, and I said something like, you know, maybe we need to channel some of the increment property tax revenue from places that are doing well into a fund that helps other neighborhoods. And I stopped myself because I thought, well, that's the general fund. <laughs> so if we just stop skimming money off the general fund and let it exist, that's how we help these neighborhoods. Well, just if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Charlie Santo from University of Memphis, and we're talking about tax increment financing districts in Memphis. So picking up on that point, Charlie, it is the general fund, but how could, are there are there other models people are doing TIF slightly differently um, instead of doing a whole bunch of separate districts using the, using the, the tool to benefit more areas without doing a lot of separate TIF districts? I don't necessarily, I don't know about that necessarily. I mean, there are different examples of ways that TIFs are used. Like in Portland, uh, they have a lot of TIF districts in Portland. They're, they're called urban renewal districts. 
um, and they have a set aside policy. So of that increment uh, in these areas, 30% of that increment has to be set aside for use in providing affordable housing. All right, so that's one way. I mean, it's still, it doesn't solve the problem of having multiple TIFs, uh, but it does at least address that affordable housing problem. Um, so that's one approach. I mean, another alternative to creating a bunch of TIF districts and diverting money out of the general fund is the business improvement district, which is a similar but slightly different thing, right? So you're drawing a boundary, but instead of just saying the increase in property tax revenue is gonna stay in this area, you're actually assessing an additional tax rate to people, people are volunteering to pay an additional tax rate to use that money that comes from that to pay for improvements in their neighborhood. Um, I like that model. I just feel like it's a hard sell because people are here aren't accustomed to it outside of downtown. I've heard it talked about at the university district and, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think other, other cities where you've got a lot of, of these kind of districts where, you know, they've got, um, you know, their own equivalent of the blue suede brigade and they've got, you know, special garbage cans and extra security. I mean, um, you know, in a city like New York or Chicago, there's the understanding the government can't provide all of those. So we're all going to chip in a little bit and help pay for that or even some more streetscape improvements, you know, things that a TIF would pay for. But I feel like that's just not going to be on the radar screen. Well, especially now during the pandemic, but I think, I think it's a good model. I just, I'm not sure where we're, where we need to be yet. People aren't, I'm not sure people are as um, on board with that yet as, as they need to be. That's a problem with a lot of my solutions. Here, <laughs> Believe me. So Charlie, I want to ask you something. And we talked about this a little earlier. I guess it's a little bit of a provocative question, but you know, the TIF is really designed to, you know, it's a neighborhood revitalization tool to eradicate blight, you know, to improve living conditions for people living in the neighborhood. Um, and there is one in in East Memphis, kind of in that, you know, Poplar White Station area that was, you know, requested by one or two East Memphis developers, and you know, was it was ultimately approved. It was controversial because it's not really, um, it's not really how the tool was designed to be used, and also it's, um, you know, that's some of the highest um, property values already in the city, and you know, those developers are, you know, the develop owners and developers are a very high priced property. But having said that. Um, you know, from a purely numbers perspective, sometimes I wonder what's wrong with that. Like we, um, several years ago, you know, John Paul Schaefer and I did a small project for some developers out in East Memphis, kind of based on the, you know, the old Memphis program. And it was really looking at that area right around Clark Tower. Um, you know, those, those two, there's those two you know, Clark Tower and the iBank building. And then there's, you know, lots of restaurants, there's shops, there's a ton of commercial activity. But it's, you know, people, I'm not saying people don't walk, but it looked like a kind of situation where, you know, as, as, as expensive as the rents are there, you know, with some improvements, you know, walkways, plantings, making it easier to walk to places, picnic tables, to 
I mean, you could get even squeeze even more out of it. And I think that was their thinking. We just did some conceptual work for them about it. And but I think that's some of the some of the kinds of things that these developers want to use are planning to use the TIF funds for. So if 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 property values go up and a and a portion of those ultimately, you know, go to the project, but more money goes into the city coffers, what's wrong with that? Well, so this that the East Memphis Poplar Corridor TIF is is the one that I think is, you know, when I'm when I'm talking about TIFs, you know, having these potential downsides, I'm not really talking about the Binghamton and South Memphis TIF, but it's things more like this Poplar Corridor TIF. Um, because, you know, the, the money's not going into the general coffers. This property values increase over there because they make it more walkable or, or whatever. That money's staying there, right? And property values are increasing over there anyway. It's one of the most affluent business districts in the city. And so for them to... to to make the the benefits of that insular to just that corridor, that's why South Memphis needs a TIF because they're not because you know we're we're skimming money out of the general coffers that would go to benefit the rest of the city to to kind of lock in the benefits that already exist in a place like that and so that's I don't I think that is an, is an example that is right for a business improvement district instead of a TIF. Well. Um- you're probably right, actually, now that I think about it, but just to sort of exhaust <laughs> exhaust the point, and I'm not defending this tip at all. I'm just kind of, I was just thinking it through. And I mean, could you have the scenario where, you know, a portion, only a portion of the increment goes to that go? And I don't know how, I don't know how that tip is designed. Like a portion of the increment goes to pay off that debt, a portion stays with the city or yeah. it's 10 years instead of 20 years or I mean, could there be scenarios where it had more of a public benefit? Yeah, then you're getting creative, and it's not just the basic TIF, right? You're you're, you're think things now. You're starting to take steps like the Portland example, where they're carving out thirty percent of the of that increment goes to affordable housing, right? So yeah, now now it's thinking like it's back to that original thought of could we take the benefits that are happening in areas that are improving and TIF those into areas that are not? Okay. Um, so do we do that or is that to general fund? Okay. So, you know, I feel like we've, the only problem with this discussion is there hasn't been enough jargon. So I want to, I want to wrap up with introducing some more jargon. Um, and because there's another tool that's been introduced um, the last several years, it's being used here quite a bit, which is the called not called TIF, but called TDZ, which is Tourist Development Zone. And it's actually similar uh, in some level, but it's a different source of funding. And really, in Memphis, it's different kinds of projects. So can you explain what that is and how it's different from a TIF? Yeah, I mean, I think the basic difference is that it's sales tax revenue uh, being siphoned instead of property tax revenue, right? And so you see this around the Fairgrounds Redevelopment Project, and so the idea is that we're going to make some improvement over here. Uh, because of that improvement, people are going to spend more money in retail and commercial restaurant establishments. So we'll use that money, that increase in revenue, to pay for these improvements. Uh, so it's a similar thing uh, based on sales tax revenue instead of property tax revenue, and it's tied to tourism. Um, so there has to be some sort of a, a tourism component to the project. Well, I know it's being used at the fairgrounds, and also there's a large tourist development zone downtown 
and um, that's I think paying for some of the some of the um, convention center improvements that are being finished. I think that's going to help support some of the proposed pinch district improvements. And I want to say maybe the city has issued bonds for that. Um, Another difference, and this is really just a technical one, is those all have to be approved at the state level. And I think the state has maybe put a moratorium in place and the, um, I think the fairgrounds sort of slid in, but, um, Mm -hmm. but that's, do you, I mean, do you share the same concerns about that tool or do you feel like it's. It's a little, my concerns become a little watered down. And so you mentioned the state has to approve it. And that's because in the regular case, part of that sales tax revenue is going to the state. So the state has to approve it because they're giving up something that they would get consolidated in Nashville and allowing it, or in Nashville to spread across the state, and allowing it to stay in Memphis. So it doesn't have the same uh, magnitude of impacts on our local general fund because it gets, you know, it's money that would be going to Nashville first and part of it coming back to us. But I, I mean, I think my, my long-term, and this is a very long-term concern, but my main long-term concern about a world in which we move to having dozens or scores of TIFs is that, you know, then when you have these 20, 40, 100 TIFs and where the, the benefits of improvement in those areas remain in, the, in those areas, at what point is the rising tide not lifting all boats anymore? Is it lifting boats in some ponds across the city? And you end up with these sort of mini self-financing districts, which is, is the ultimate uh, local government fragmentation. And I think so... You know, we can get into this another time, but I think the solution to these inequity problems is regionalism, uh, and the opposite of that is 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 the local fragmentation that we already have within metro areas. And if we continue that at an even more micro level, so we have fragmentation within a city, and now we not we don't only have cities and suburbs competing for development, but now we maybe we have neighborhoods competing with each other for development. That's scary, and that's a long way off, but that's that's the long term concern. Well, it makes me wonder if there's, you know, if the this CRA board, which we discussed earlier, if there's some kind of a overarching plan or strategy for how TIF is going to be used and how much to what extent. So that is a question for another day. But but that's a, that's a scenario. It's probably in the future, but I could see it happening. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I can come up with dystopian scenarios all day long. <laughs> I hope it doesn't get there. Okay. Well, thank you, Charlie, for coming back on Memphis Metropolis as usual to to turn some technical topics in and make them more accessible and understandable for our audience. So I appreciate you. You bet. Anytime. So you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I've been talking to Charlie Santo, uh, Director of City and Regional Planning at University of Memphis. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. 
Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.